Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 4. We're in verses 11 and 12 this morning. And let me just say, as you're turning there, and before we, before we read, and then hear what the Lord has to say, uh, if you are uh, anything like me, you'll go through these two verses this morning and probably come out on the other side and say, well, if, if this is the standard that's required of my speech, well, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to talk again. <laughs> to which the Lord probably just smiles and nods, right? Talking less would probably be a good thing for you, Merritt, or believer. But then let me also add to that, because I, because I, I know that there is, um, at times, depending on our personalities and our temperaments, there, there is a bent to sort of just, you know, pound each other into the ground with, uh, with right conviction, perhaps to the extreme, to say that even the songs that we just finished singing, the Lord is my salvation, right? Glorify your name in all the earth. You understand that as you rightly see yourself in these verses, as you recognize that the Lord is highlighting, exposing your sin and mine, that one of the reasons that we sing the Lord is my salvation is because even though we are guilty of the sin described in verses 11 and 12, he saves us from that. And one of the ways, I don't, and, and I, I don't even mean, I, I do mean ultimately, right? He saves us from the judgment to come, but he saves us now from that. One of the ways that the Lord glorifies himself in all the earth is by scattering his people in all the earth and showing them to be people who once looked like verses 11 and 12 who indulged in this kind of lax critical speech, but who is being refined and renewed day by day to look more and more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. So, James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brothers. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness and grace to us as your people, would you expose our sin would you expose the sinfulness of our speech? And would you cause us to grieve over what it is that we see and hear? What we see in your word as it exposes us, what we hear coming from our own lips that violate the commands and the instructions that you've given us. But Father, do so so that we would become all the more grateful for the grace and mercy that we find in Jesus Christ and for the help that is ours by your Spirit so that even this sin that so easily entangles us is not a sin that we must succumb to, but one that we find victory over. Father, we thank you for your goodness to your people and for your word. Amen. So, 
the sinfulness of critical speech, I think, is probably along the lines of what James is talking about in 4, 11, and 12. And what we want to do here in the time that we have, we want to try to, um, to approach this in two ways. One, I think it would be helpful just so that we don't assume too much, or maybe, which would probably be the case for, for many of us, uh, assume not enough or understand not enough. In other words, we don't want to assume that we know what is meant by speaking against one another. We want to rightly understand it in all the different shapes and manifestations. And then once we've sort of, once we sort of lay a, a template or some sort of a foundational understanding as to what it means to speak against one another, we want to do what then James goes on to do, which is to say why it is that speaking against one another is so sinful. And we're going to address that in the two ways that James presents it. Number one, once we look at what it means to speak against one another, the reason why we're not to do it is because when we speak against one another, number one, this is verse 11, we set ourselves above the law. We are no longer keeping the law, we're breaking the law, and in breaking the law, we're saying that we're above the law. And then number two, not only do we try to set ourselves above the law when we speak against one another, but ultimately, in setting ourselves above the law, we're trying to take the place of God. It is an act of rebellion against Him, whether we recognize it or not. So, Start with me in verse 11. Do not speak against one another. One of the reasons that it might be helpful to look at what, in essence, this means is because, depending on your English translation, there, there are multiple ways of rendering this verse. The, the word that's used here is not used very often in the New Testament, and so context becomes important, but the, the fewer examples you have, the more you wrestle with, you know, what's the best rendering of this? So, New American Standard that I just read for or, or read from reads verse 11 as do not speak against one another. I think ESV says something like uh, do not speak evil against one another. NIV says do not slander one another. And so as you, as you read, and there, there are other ways to render this, all of which are fine and good, but the, the difficulty is, is that it may unnecessarily limit what it is that James has in mind here. That is to say that depending on how you intuit, so to speak, this idea of speaking against or speaking evil against or slandering, you can easily think that all that James is talking about is speaking evil or slandering someone when it comes to uh, spreading a false rumor about them or lying about them, right? doing something that would, in legal terms, be something like defamation, right? But I honestly think that what James has in mind here is far broader than just untruthful, deceitful kind of language that we use in reference to one another. Let me give you just a couple of examples, interestingly enough, from the Old Testament that uses this same concept. So turn with me to the book of Numbers, and start in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers 12, verse 1. 
Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, this is what counts as speaking against Moses in verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? Go ahead. See, all right, I was so close <laughs> to speaking against. Who will save me from the body of this death? <laughs> Praise be to God. So they... <laughs> Get behind me. <laughs> Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses by saying, is it only through Moses that the Lord has spoken? Hasn't he spoken through us as well? And notice that as you go down a little bit further, when the Lord responds to Miriam and Aaron in verse 8, he says that with Moses I speak mouth to mouth with him, even openly and not in dark sayings. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant against Moses? To which Miriam and Aaron could easily say, hey, we're not speaking against Moses. We're just asking a question. What are you speaking against? No, 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 no. Just asking a question. Asking a question in Numbers 12 is categorized as speaking against Moses. Turn a few more chapters over in Numbers to Numbers chapter 21. Goodness, I switched all the way to Deuteronomy 21. Start with me at verse 4, Numbers 21, 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against... God and Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Now, notice here what causes this blurting out of speaking against not just Moses now, but God, and not just Miriam and Aaron, but the entire congregation, is one, that these people are impatient, they're uncomfortable. As you continue to read, God does not give them a free pass merely because they were having a bad day and they were impatient. But the other thing that is perhaps even more troubling in this is that the overwhelming majority of what the people say when they are said to speak against God and Moses are true. It was God and Moses who led them up out of Egypt. There was no food and water in the wilderness. They did loathe the continuous staple of manna day in and day out. All of that true. 
But the truth of what they spoke was done from an impure motive. They attributed poor or wrong motives to God and to Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Do you hear that? You can say what is true about a situation as it pertains to another person, but depending on what your motivation is or how you describe that person's actions and the motive that you attribute to them, even if you say something true factually, because of misappropriating their motives, you can be guilty of speaking against someone. So when you come back to James chapter 4, and you see that James says, do not speak against one another, brothers. Certainly that includes the idea of not lying about one another. Certainly it includes the idea of not gossiping about one another. But within the broader picture of Scripture, it would seem like we would have to say that speaking against a brother would include any kind of speech that is in any way combative, critical, destructive, slanderous, disingenuous, rooted in a sense of your own pride or offense that you have taken. In other words, if anything that you say to or about another brother or sister is not in some way constructive, it almost more than likely counts as speaking against them. Unless what you are saying is actively building them up. Or, to put it more simply, if what you say to or about another brother or sister is not being said in love, it's almost a given that you're guilty of the sin of speaking against a brother or sister. Do you see why you read these verses and you say, if that's the standard, if everything that I say to my wife, to my children, to my employer or, or fellow employees, to my neighbor, if everything that I say to them or about them has to meet the standard of love, I don't know that I can talk to them anymore. To which God would say, then don't talk. Not until, as James says earlier in chapter 3, you put a bridle on your tongue. What is it that is so problematic, so bad, so sinful about speaking against another brother or sister? Especially when you consider that it's possible for you to speak against, it's possible for me to speak against you or you against me, even though everything that we say about one another is 100% true. What makes speaking against one another so problematic? What makes it sinful? Two reasons that James gives. Number one, when you speak against a brother or sister, you are setting yourself above the law. 
Look at verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brothers. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. What in the world is he talking about? How do I speak against or how do I judge the law when I speak against or judge my brother or sister? What, what is the law that he's talking about? Well, turn back just a page or two, still in James, in chapter 2, look at verse 8. James 2, 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And then in our passage today in 4.11, James says that if you speak against a brother or sister, you are speaking against the law. And then notice also at the end of verse 12, a little change in terminology. At the end of verse 12, when he ends with this sort of rhetorical question, but who are you to judge your neighbor? If he had kept with the terminology, he would have said, but who are you to judge your brother? But he doesn't. He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Which sounds like, in light of the fact that he's mentioned the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself, and then he changes the term brother or sister to neighbor at the end of verse 12, it sounds like, or certainly seems like, what James has in mind when he says that when you speak against a brother, you're speaking against the law, that he has in mind the idea that you're speaking against what Jesus himself said is the second greatest commandment in the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hold your place in James and go back to Leviticus, which is where this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, where it comes from. Leviticus 19. Someday we should preach through Leviticus. Leviticus 19 16. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. You are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove him, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do you hear what the Lord is saying before he gets to that last statement? He's talking about the way that his people talk about one another. You, my people, are not to be characterized by slanderous talk. You're not to go around talking about one another behind each other's backs. 
You're not to be the kind of people that harbor a grudge in your heart, but rather if there is a sin that needs to be dealt with, you should speak to it so that you can reprove and win your brother. You will love your neighbor as yourself. What happens when you and I speak against one another? And remember, we're saying that we mean speak against, or James seems to have the idea of speak against means anything that is not done in love with the objective of building that person up. When you and I don't speak in love for the purpose of building up or edifying one another, what we are essentially saying in that moment, whether we would articulate it or not, is that although God has commanded me to love my neighbor as myself, in this instance, I'm not going to do that. Or, although God has said, as a general rule, I am to love my neighbor as myself, which includes the way that I speak to my neighbor, the Lord did not give that command thinking about who my wife or who my husband is. It doesn't apply to them. Or, have you met my employer? Certainly the love command does not apply there. Have you heard member so-and-so? Their singing is awful. I cannot worship when they are sitting in the pew behind me. I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor and even speak lovingly to them. But his off-key singing is the exception clause to the command that God has given. Kids, young kids, somewhat older kids, teenagers, young adults, these commands are for you too. How do you talk about your parents? Do you speak against them? When you're at school, how do you talk about your classmates? Do you say things, oh, I'm only repeating what is true, only repeating what exactly happened, but are you repeating those things for their benefit and for their good because you love them? Because you want to see them grow and mature? Or, by the convicting work of God's Spirit, do you know in your heart that even as you're saying these things, that these are corrupt words that you're saying about another image bearer made in the image and likeness of God? not-so-young people? How do you talk about your brothers and sisters when it comes to sharing needs? When someone needs to be prayed for, how do you present that prayer item or that prayer issue? Ladies, as you gather together with your friend groups, how do you speak about your husbands? 
Husbands, when you're together with another friend or another group of men, how do you speak about your wives? Parents, how do you speak about your children when they're not in the room? Do you see? We're just going to be walking out of here just not saying a word to each other. When you and I, for whatever reason, do not speak with a motive to love and to build one another up, we are breaking a clear command that God has given to his people, that we are to love one another as we would love ourselves, that we are to do to others as we would have them do to us. And no matter what the scenario or the situation, the only way that we can attempt to justify our critical speech, our demeaning speech, our disrespectful speech to one another, is to say or suggest or assume or try to persuade ourselves that this command either does not apply to me because I'm above it, or that this command doesn't apply to this situation. throw one more in before we go to, to verse 12, by the way. How do, how do you do, how does verse 11, how do you look in the light of verse 11 in light of what you do with social media? When you post something, when you comment on something, is it because you're posting, commenting, Snapchatting, Instagramming out of love for your neighbor? Are you trying to build someone up based on what it is that you post or comment on or like? Or do you find that much of the, inter the interaction and engagement that you have on social media is really either self-serving or hypercritical? The scary thing is to think that one of the benefits of social media in the day of judgment is to keep a record and to show of all the different ways that we've broken the speech commands in Scripture. Speaking against one another is sinful because it's an attempt for us to elevate ourselves over the law, to say that we do not have to obey the command to love one another. And number two, closely related, this actually gets to the root of it, speaking against one another in light of what James says in verse 12, is an attempt to dethrone God. Look at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? If we could put that in common vernacular, we would say something like, who do you think you are judging your neighbor? There's only one person who has the right and the authority to judge. It's God, and you're not him. At root, any sin any sin is always, hear me on this, 
is always, first and foremost, a rebellion against God himself. Always. This is the way that sin started with humanity. All the way back in the garden in Genesis 3. Did God really say, do you hear what's going on there? Why don't you for a minute take yourself out from under God's command and you give yourself the authority to evaluate whether or not this command is reasonable for you? Did God really say? The answer should have been, this is what he said, and that's the end of the conversation. As the deception goes on, there is a denial that God said what he said, or at the very least, a twisting, a corrupting of what God said. And then a criticism, a not-so-veiled criticism of why God said it to begin with. If you eat this fruit, you will not surely die. For the Lord knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There it is. Every act of sin, from the very first sin to the sins that we commit today, at root, comes from an impulse in the heart that wants to dethrone God and set ourselves on the throne to be our own God, our own king, our own lawgiver, our own self-appointed judge. It is an attempt, no matter how we may try to soften it or massage it or dress it up, our sin, even when we speak against one another, as innocuous as that may seem, is an attempt to dethrone God. God has said, you will love your neighbor as yourself, even in your speech. And I say, no. That's rebellion. And you rebel, I rebel, in those moments against the one, James says, has the power to save and to destroy. We shake our fists in the face of God as if we are daring Him to take action against our sin when we knowingly, willfully engage in this kind of talk. Listen, at the end of Romans chapter 1, when Paul has gotten through talking about the godless, hedonistic ways that the world has gone because they have rejected God, they have suppressed the truth for a lie, they have made gods of their own liking, worshiping the created rather than the creator. As he goes on and as he says, and listen, it's not only in the clear, obvious example of sexual immorality that people show that they are in rebellion against God, it's in a host of other sins, and he lists them. Romans 1, verse 30, do you know what one of the sins is that he lists? slander. It's the same root, it's taken from the same root word, Romans 1.30, what some of our versions have as slander, is the same root word that James uses here in James 4 for speaking against. 
Listen to what Paul says. These slanderers, these people who speak against one another, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And he goes on to say, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. If you speak against your neighbor, that sin makes you culpable and worthy of death. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things as slander and speaking against one another are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Sin loves company. My conscience is eased falsely when I can say I do no more or no less than what everyone else around me does. Therefore, if showing a little bit of sensitivity to this corrupting sin of speaking against a brother or sister is going to afford me more opportunity or more leeway to speak against a brother or sister when it suits me, I'll make that trade. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah comes into the throne room, when he sees God seated on the throne, his, the train of his robe, just his robe, filling the temple, the seraphim calling out, holy, holy, holy. They can't even bear to look on the face of God. His holiness so far outstrips theirs. Isaiah comes into the presence of God, and what are the words that comes out of Isaiah's mouth? Woe is me. I am undone. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people with unclean lips. Just by virtue of his speech... Isaiah fears for his life. But, but, the only lawgiver and judge who is able to destroy for the sin of speaking against a neighbor is also the lawgiver and judge who has the right and the authority to declare sinners innocent and guilt-free. Why? Because in the person of his son, he sent someone who never uttered an untrue or undeservedly critical, unrighteously critical remark in his entire life. Every moment of every day, every exchange and interaction that he had with people, whether they deserved it or not, every single day, Christ loved his neighbor as he loved himself. And then he goes to the cross 
where he is slandered, where he is spoken against, where he is mocked and ridiculed. And we read in 1 Peter 2 that although he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And then listen, this one who never sinned with his lips, never committed any sin in breaking the commandment to love his neighbor. He himself, Peter goes on to say, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you hear that? It is not merely the fact that in the death of Christ, Christ innocently, as the innocent substitute, takes our sin and our guilt and pays that penalty so that we can be forgiven and set free from the penalty of sin. That is gloriously true. But because he has set us free from the penalty of sin, he also sets us free from the power of sin. You don't have to speak against your neighbor. Not because you have it within yourself to exercise that kind of self-discipline or restraint, but because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Because he's given you a new heart and a new mind. And because as the children of God, as we see what speaking against one another means, that we are defying not only our Creator, but our Father who loved us. When we see that the payment for that verbal sin is nothing less than the death of God himself but that in the death and resurrection of God, we are given the Spirit of God to give us victory over sin. We can sing a line that we sang this morning, He breaks the power of canceled sin. You, if you belong to Christ, are no longer a slave to your lazy, hypocritical, sinful, critical speech. And that ultimately is what we want. We want to know, not merely, that God is the one who saves us from the penalty that we deserve for our impure lips, but we want to know that because He has already declared us to be right, that He is making us right. That my speech, although far from perfect, is by God's grace, day by day, becoming more and more pure, and more and more refined. You ought to expect from your elders and your deacons that as they grow and walk with the Lord, that they become more godly in their speech. And you ought to expect that your brothers and sisters in Christ, that the longer that they walk with the Lord, the more godly they will become in their speech because the power of God is at work in them. And we, as we look at you, ought to expect that as you walk with the Lord and experience His transforming work, that you will become 
more godly and pure in your speech to the praise of the glory of God in the grace of Christ by the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we sing and we pray the truth of your word in Psalm 101, that we will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, we will sing praises. We will give attention to the blameless way. Come to us. May we walk within your house in the integrity of our hearts. May we not set any worthless thing before our eyes, May we hate the work of those who would fall away. Let it not fasten its grip on us. Cause it, Lord, that any perverse heart would depart from our midst. Let us know no evil. And whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, may we silence that voice. No one who has a haughty or arrogant look will we endure. Father, may these words be true of us because we love you and because we're called according to your purpose. May it be true of us because we are being made more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may it be true of us because your power is at work in your people and among your people to display your glory in all the earth. We pray this in your name. Amen.